Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is one of the hardest working people in professional hockey. By day, she's a salesperson in the cyber security industry. She has played 13 games for the Connecticut Well over the first two seasons of the NWHL. During the inaugural season of the NWHL in 2015 through 16, she was a nominee for the NWHL Foundation and the Dina Lang Award. Last season, she was nominated for the Dina Lang Award again and was a recipient of the Fans Three Star Award. Somehow, she finds time to also be the, the head of the Players Association director for the the NWHL and has time to squeeze in some coaching for a Tier 1 hockey team as well. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Anya Badalino to WLIA Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Anya. Hey guys, thanks so much. Every time I hear that, I just sound tired and feel tired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because during the, the three seasons of the league, you've been one of the faces of the National Women's Hockey League, whether it be interacting with fans or providing a positive presence on social media, as well as being a standout on the ice, you've been essential to the growth of the league. In the Open, we mentioned that you were uh, nominated for the Foundation Award, which recognizes the player most actively applying the core values of hockey to a community, as well as growing and improving hockey culture. I know that you don't do any of it for the recognition or the award, but how does it feel to be recognized for all the hard work that you've put in since this league has started? You know, it's been a, it's been a really uh, exciting time, and when you hear things like that, it kind of validates all the, the sleepless nights and the, the, the hard work and the fighting for a dream that you feel like no one sees but you. Uh, so that's always, you know, a really nice feather in the cap, but you're right. I don't do it so that I hear that. I do it because Every time I see a kid shining back at me um, or saying something or seeing someone invest in the league or buy a T-shirt, you know, it, it makes me feel like what I've been doing and, and all that time that any of us spend, it's not just myself, it's every player in the league, um, makes it feel worth it. So um, it's, a, it's a humbling feeling for sure. You know, I was lucky enough to meet you in person at Dominic Moore's Smash Fest. And it's very funny because I was doing um, the players that were coming out for, you know, that were participating in the media scrum. And my wife happened to accompany me on this trip. And when I finished with the scrums, I walked over and my wife says, you have to meet this person. You have to meet this person. And then you walked over. And I have to tell you, within seconds, your off-the-charts passion for the sport um, is just, it's palpable. It's so noticeable. Where does that passion come from? Uh, I would think that a lot of it comes from growing up and, and always wanting to put that dream job as NHL player uh, near no, I mean, I think a million times. And it, it turns a fire in your belly and it makes you just crazy about what you do and love what you do. And I think that that's probably where that passion fire started. Um, I always wanted to be just like my brother. So I followed in his footsteps and became a hockey player. And then from there it was just, wanting to have better for myself, for the people around me, for uh, my hometown of Walton, Massachusetts, and whether that was coaching the kids when I came back from playing at Boston University or just falling in love with the experience that hockey gave me and wanting that to be duplicated for so many girls around the world. Um, so that's probably where it starts and, and, and maybe ends with me. 
You know, you mentioned your, your hometown. You developed your game playing Waltham Youth Hockey and then the East Coast Wizard in Bedford, Mass. Uh, with the Wizard, you're coached by Paul Kennedy, who's the father of two-time U.S. Olympic team member Courtney Kennedy. How much did you know about Courtney at the time, and how important was it for you as a development as a player having a coach who understood what it took to achieve you know, greatness in the sport, having his daughter be one of the greats in women's hockey? Yeah, I mean, it all started for me when I really kind of flipped the switch. I was a kid, actually, and the U.S. Olympic team played at Boston University um, before they even had a women's program. And my mom took me to the game, my mom and dad, and we sat down, watched the whole thing, and they did an autograph signing. And little did I know, it didn't even kind of make sense to me. It was before I even had played for the Wizards. And Courtney Kennedy got up from the autograph table and crouched down and got eye level to me and said, if you want it, go get it. Like, don't let anyone stand in your way. You can make anything happen. And that's when I fell in love with playing at Boston University, following in her footsteps, being a defenseman. Um, and then I just so happened to play for the Wizards where I was being coached by Paul. Courtney would come back for skill sessions every now and then. And um, then when I got to college, I played at Boston University, and she was coaching over at BC. And it was one of those moments where stepping on the ice, playing a team that she coached was – like an aha moment for me. And, um, you know, Paul Kennedy is such an influential, influential guy in the space. And he knows, like you said, he knows what you need, you need and he knows what it takes. And he can see that passion and that drive in people. And, and luckily I was, I was able to work with him. You, know, you mentioned that you played against a team that she coached, and hearing her voice, uh, you, did you hear any like lines that you know, coming out of her mouth? And I know in games you, you probably don't hear it, but I'm wondering if there were moments where you heard her voice echoing words that her father had instructed you when you were playing for him. It was more when she coached us in skills. You know, I would see the similarities in the way they would talk and how much they would um, harp on power skating and and different things where she would, you know, talk about heads-up hockey and different things that Paul would say. Uh, so that was really one of the, the better experiences for me was getting able to or being able to get on the ice with her. I mean, I'm from the East Coast, so um, luckily there's a lot of, you know, women's hockey there. You know, I was lucky enough to be one of the first players in Waltham to be on a varsity women's hockey team in high school. It was full of hockey. It was, you know, it's one of the hubs outside of New York, like Michigan or Minnesota, uh, that Boston area is booming. So I was lucky enough to get on the ice with her and, and watch her and, and watch him and really see the, the similarities there and be able to pull what I wanted to not only uh, practice but also preach when I became a coach. You know, we mentioned everything that you do in the Open, your day job in the cybersecurity industry, playing, being the director of the Players Association, and coaching. What does a normal work week look like for you? Um, if I'm in season, it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, I'll wake up, uh, head to the office, usually around like nine. I like my I like my sleep, so I take my lunch hour, go to the gym. Um, my office happens to have a really nice gym. My CEO is really big on on fitness, so the gym is is quality enough that I can do a hockey lift. Uh, then I'll leave work around five or six uh, and head to the rink. Um, whether I'm on the ice coaching uh, a skills camp or or you know sessions with the Mid-Fairfield Stars, which is the team I used to coach for or coach for now. Um, then I get back to the ice uh, around 9.30 for Connecticut Whale practices on the ice there until about 10, 10.15. And then we usually do video afterwards uh, at, at one of the uh, restaurants at the rink. So I'm probably there till about midnight, get home, shower, get myself calmed down from the hype of practice, uh, back to bed, and I'm, I'm doing that 
basically all 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 winter time. Wow. Wow, I'm exhausted just hearing that. Um, you know, I've, you know, you take a look at it, and, and things are obviously changing in sports, but it's still a male-dominated industry. What has been your biggest individual challenge in sports? You know, I think it would be that mutual respect. I mean, you were to look at somebody like, you know, for example, you're going to get another hardworking grinder in the NHL and have that guy show up to any company and say, hey, I, I want a partner or I want a sponsor, and they instantly think about it like, that's a, you know, that's a blessing for us. Absolutely, 100%. We'll put our, our um, money where our mouth is. We want to partner with you, all these different things. And, you know, somebody like myself goes and does the exact same thing, and they go, oh, maybe we'll give you some free product or, you know, we're not really in the business of charity. And it's just a completely different perspective from, you know, a, a man doing the same thing or, you know, him going to the gym for, for 20 minutes is what I make in a year. Um, so it, it gets kind of frustrating there. Um, but definitely the, the equality behind it is slow moving, and it's definitely somewhere where, you know, we're not even making a livable wage, let alone a luxurious lifestyle uh, where you can buy multiple homes and, and, you know, have these, you know, nice, nice things. It's just not where we're at. So a lot of the players in our league are working four or five jobs, coaching here, coaching there trying to make all the pieces fit into the puzzle, and it just gets a little uh, demoralizing at times, which is why I always try to talk about hockey with a smile on my face. Uh, I think they're contagious, but outside of uh, that stuff, that, that's probably my biggest hurdle right now. And it's A.J. Carter. You, you take a look at the WNBA versus the NBA, and it's developed its own following, its own niche, and it's a very established league now. It's 15 years in or something more than that. What type of challenge do you have with the NWHL versus the NHL finding fan base and following, and what do you think the similarities and differences are between those two relationships, NBA, WNBA, NHL, and WHL? Yeah, I mean, well, well, the NBA birthed the WNBA. When they started having their challenges, they really took them under their wing and, and said, well, this is a subsidiary or this is you know, the same resources uh, that they're going to put to the NBA. They, they try to give a fair sniff of those to the WNBA, so that's first and foremost one of the major differences there. Um, but really when you get into... Uh, hockey and, and basketball and how they're different in the fan bases. Um, a lot of hockey players will look at women's hockey, and you know what? It, it's kind of across the board. Nobody looks at a female athlete and says that's the same caliber. You know, people will, will constantly shove in your face, well, you're not the NBA or you're not the NHL, and it's different. And then somebody will come to a game and watch a game and go, wow, you guys really play like dudes. And I'm like, no, we play like women, and we're pretty good in our own right, so... Uh, you know, I don't really know what to say to that. Um, but that's where a lot of the challenges are. Once you have somebody come to a game, I, I think that there's a lot of respect instantly earned there. Um, but that would be some of the major differences is getting butts in seats is a challenge because people don't want to say, I'm just a hockey fan. You know, they say, I'm a Sabres fan, but I'll never go to abuse game. And that's a challenge. That's where we need a, a systemic change there. And in that specific instance, you have the Pagulas putting a bunch of money into buying the franchise of the Buffalo Buttes and throwing double headers and making it accessible and making the sport, um, you know, equal. And I think that they have a great way of doing that in buying a, a champion in the Buffalo Buttes and a team that's so uh, widely recognized in our league as a really dominant team. Um, I, I hope that they can find that change within their fan base, but that's really the the main problems that we're facing. You know, it's also interesting because 
you know, and Gene Ubriaco mentioned this, how the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team helped, you know, sports hockey here in the United States. And I remember being covering the Ranger game when the U.S. Olympic women's hockey team were there and they lined up in between periods and they yeah. got probably like a five or six minute standing ovation. Absolutely. So I, I think there is that shift happening, but it's not quick enough because we mentioned everything you do. Okay, now if that was um, let, just a random hockey player, let's take Matt Martin for instance. If Matt Martin, you know, had a day job, was the head of the NHLPA, and, and you know, coached a team and played NHL hockey, he'd be on the cover of not only the Hockey News but Sports Illustrated. He'd be every single feature on ESPN. Yet. Not that many people, and it's not a knock against you, not that many people know your story. And you're right, it's not equal. Because if you were a man, there's no question more people would know who you are. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'd be making, you know, upwards of $10 million a year. And I would be, um, you know, living, not that I'm living in squalor, but, like, it would just be a completely different life. Yeah. I always think about that. I have a lot of buddies that play in the NHL. Because um, I went to, I've said it about a billion times. Not a shameless plug for BU, um, but a lot of those guys, <laughs> a lot of those guys end up going up. And I look at them and, and I think to myself, your signing bonus would be an entire NHL salary cap. I mean, uh, NWHL <laughs> salary cap. Yeah. Like for probably crazy. more than one, it's, probably it's, for all four teams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you could buy, you could buy a team right now with your signing bonus. Right. Are you interested? And they're like, nah. <laughs> I'm like, well, there you go. That's crazy, crazy. Off the ice, you've had a, a life-changing year as well, and it all started when you got a call from a player in the league telling you that she wanted to come out of retirement, um, gauging if she had full support of the National Women's Hockey League Players Association. How and why did that call change your life? <laughs> well, that's my now fiancé, and it was a wild time in both of our lives, and it, it ended up being one of those things where um, – you know, we just connected. I really connected to her story and where she was at in her life. We ended up becoming really good friends. And, and from there, started dating. Uh, we almost got in a fight on the ice one time. But I guess I let her go. <laughs> yeah, so we, so we gave each other some, some, uh, some tough times out there. But um, anyway, yeah, so, so Madison and I are, you know, homeowners. We're engaged. We have two dogs. It's just like it's been a, it's been a crazy time. But... Um, that was that was the call that started that whole um, connection. You know, and you've been quite open about your relationship, and I urge all our listeners to read a March 20th article on SB Nation's Outsports site, yeah. which details the, the tough conversations you had coming out to your parents. Uh, by the way, your dad, Bob, is definitely a guy I want to have a yep. beer with. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mark, just, Mark was telling me that. We both read the article. Yeah, we, that, that, that was his biggest takeaway from that article. Well, it wasn't my biggest well, takeaway. I just it said a that's one. a guy that you know, I definitely want to hang with. Um, but since you came out, you've been very open and a proud member of the LGTBQ community, using your pos position in professional hockey to speak openly and freely about coming out. Why was going public so important to you? And while it clearly um, things have gotten better, uh, clearly not nearly where they should be, are you surprised that in 2018 that there are obviously people in sports that are still hiding their sexual preferences? Yeah, I mean, uh, first and foremost, the, the reason I talk about any of the, the kind of uncomfortable things that I try to voice and be vocal about is because I know what it's like to be a kid struggling with that burden. Um, and I know what it's like to, to have sports in my life and be challenged to 
um, be challenged to fit in and be challenged to feel quote unquote normal. So as much as I can talk about the things that I'm going through and normalize them, um, the better, you know, I just try to be unapologetically myself. And if that helps somebody and, you know, after that article came out, I had a lot of different people, uh, inboxing me, writing me messages. Thanks so much for being open. Thank you for talking about what you're going through. I hope that I can kind of get to the same place with my mom. Um, and that was impactful for me. That, that made it worth it. If I can help one person understand, you know, it's okay to be different, um, then it's worth it for me. And, and really, you know, the latter thing that you touched on there, it's, it's hard to know that some people are living their unauthentic lives because they don't feel like they're going to be accepted. Um, that's one of the things that for me really breaks my heart because as coaches, as people, as fans, because um, I see it from both sides, obviously, it, it, it's hard to know that somebody's struggling and it's hard to know that they can't just feel comfortable to be themselves. And I think that we could all um, be more honest and, and open in conversations and we could all be more understanding as well. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like my dad, he was so understanding and he didn't question, and he didn't have, have a, a lab time. He just said, that's who you are. That's all right with me. And that's not usually what people hear. So they get scared, and it's a challenge. But if we can make more people, even parents, reading that article saying that's how her dad dealt with it, that's pretty badass. Yeah. You know, that, then they can say that's maybe how I'm going to deal with it if that happens in my life. Um, so I was, I was proud of both of my parents for letting me tell that story and being vulnerable because – it's hard. It's, it's a hard time. Yeah, I urge now, all now, our listeners to read that article. You chose a very public place right. to propose. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and talk about the reaction that the public had when they saw this happening. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, you know, the whole time I was saying to Madison something, you know, I would like dangle this carrot like, oh, if we get engaged, I'm going to do it in public. And she's like, you better not. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, you better not. And I'm laughing at myself because I have this whole plan cooked up in my head, and I'm like, well, I hope she's not really that passionate about it because <laughs> that's how it's happening. Um, but we, I proposed. Um, everyone in the park, you know, started screaming, clapping. You know, later we started looking on social media, and different people were in the park, like, taking, like, Instagram pictures of it, and, you know, people were screenshotting it and sending it to us. That's why I love social media. It's such a connected area. Uh, but there was uh, there was so many different people that had access to it, then telling our story, having a photographer there to take pictures, um, you know, kind of put Madison outside of her comfort zone. But knowing, you know, my level of openness and comfort and, and how much I like to talk about, you know, what I'm going through, it it even kind of sparked a fire to, to be more open herself and ourselves and about our relationship. Um, so it was crazy. I was literally almost fell in the pond because I was shaking. Like, that's how I think she knew something was up because I, I, I'm like an unwavering speaker. Like, I can be dead wrong and so confident about it. But my voice was cracking. I was, like, crying. She was like, hold on. Are you okay? <laughs> for, for you, those of you in the audience who have never seen an, a hockey game in the NWHL, I'm urging you to circle two dates on the calendar. And that's the, um, I believe it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving 
and the Sunday after Thanksgiving because I, I think the way those two games go is going to have this holiday season is going to go in your household because you both play each other <laughs> those two dates. Um, lastly, as a, a person, a successful businesswoman, an athlete, a sister, a daughter, a role model, a leader, and as an advocate for the rights of all people regardless of their sexual orientation, what advice would a young Anya love to have heard from a young mo- uh, a, a role model that you spoke to growing up? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I could have heard, and, and it really came from my mom. Um, she used to always, you know, push me to just be strong and be me. And if something came my way that was an adverse experience, she would just say, you know, put your head down and get through it. You know, I, I mean, and I joke around, but, like, I used to get hurt out on the ice. My mom would look at me across the stand and just be like, you know, put her hands up in the air and, like, shake her head. Like, shake it off. You're fine. Like, and that's kind of her mentality to life, and that's kind of how I've taken it is if something is a challenge or a grind, you know, be yourself and get through it by talking about it or, you know, in some cases putting your head down. In some cases just finding an ally and finding a friend and finding somebody to um, be able to kind of let things off your chest. And there's no, there's no problem just to be yourself. And people will probably hate you for it, and people will probably love you for it. But, you know, who cares? There's so much tied up, and especially with, like, bullying and trying to fit in and all these different things. I don't think I had a single friend until college. And I was so happy because I was me, and I could care less, and I had hockey, and I had all these different things. And, and I hung out with my mom a bunch, which, like, now I'm like, that kind of sounds bad, but it was sweet. <laughs> and, like, I, I think that that's where a lot of the hesitation comes with kids nowadays is they're just afraid to be themselves. And if they're quirky and if they're weird, they think they're different and they think it's wrong. I had like the weirdest person. I still do have the weirdest personality, but when you become older, it's like, Oh my God, that person's unique. (laughs) (laughs) But like as a kid, you were like the total weirdo, like be unique, be yourself. And, and who cares? Just do it. Anya, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thank you for being such a positive and inspirational role model that boys, girls, men, and women can look up to. We really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I, I love to talk hockey, talk to you know anyone who will basically listen, watch the game, come support us. Anya, Badalino, Connecticut, well.